Today, what we're going to talk about, and it's really interesting how the Holy Spirit orchestrates things, because Micah did not know that we're, I'm going to speak on the Lord's Prayer this morning, and, um, and everything he said just fit right in perfectly with that, and then Wilson coming up and praying as well. But uh, we're going to look at that. I think that prayer is one of the things that uh, just about anybody prays or will pray in the right circumstances. So some people might not. But there, there's a heart desire to reach out somewhere and get help. And that, that's, that's pretty much universal in every people group in the world. And in the last message, Wilson gave a message that talked about prayer. And what I'm going to do is start off by reading Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, the last two verses in uh, Wilson's passage last week on prayer. So this is um, Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. It says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like Gentiles, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, that's kind of like the setup for the Lord's Prayer. And He's saying the Gentiles have this concept of God that He's not really involved in, in humanity's struggles. In fact, the Greeks, that was part of their basic theology was the gods are, are not moved emotionally by us. They, they don't care about what's happening with us. And you have to give them a good reason to get involved. You almost have to kind of like somehow get their attention and pay them off or something like that. And, and so in the, in the um, regions around Palestine, uh, Greek influence there, but also just the pagan religions there that practice child sacrifice and other things like that, they all practiced this notion that you have to say the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over to get God's attention because he really might not be listening, and he really doesn't care. Now, I, I was a fifth grade school teacher for a couple of years, and I remember uh, being at my desk at the beginning of the day, and I have two or three students around me, and I'm helping one of them right at the moment, and this other little boy named Paul came up, <clears throat> and he started saying, Mr. Cochran. He's Mr. Cochran, Mr. Cochran, Mr. Cochran, Mr. Cochran, Mr. Cochran, Mr. Cochran, on and on and on and on, ad nauseum. And I finally had to say, Paul, wait, you know, I'm going to get to you. I have a good reason for why I'm not answering you right now. You can see that. But what, what happens is that when, when people ask God for something and they don't see immediate results then it's easy to draw the conclusion that God isn't interested, that he doesn't care, and that if I just keep saying his name over and over and over again, maybe I'll get his attention and get what I need. And so Jesus is really, uh, in, in presenting the Lord's Prayer to us, he's really trying to, um, trying to correct that misunderstanding. Now, there, there is the need for persevering in prayer, that's different than what Jesus refers to here as useless or vain or empty repetitions. The, the vain repetitions would be just saying the same thing over and over and over and over again, thinking if I say it 50 times, he'll have to answer. Whereas if I just say it once, he's disinterested and he doesn't really care. Persevering prayer, what that means is, I am so confident in God's goodness, I am so confident in his heart 
that even though I ask the first time and I don't see immediate results, I, I, I'm going to ask again. I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray about this again. Not in a repetitious way, but just out of a heart of passion, seeking God. That blind man that Jesus talked about, it says that he was crying out for Jesus over and over again. There were even people around him telling him to be quiet, but he wouldn't stop because he was confident in the goodness of Jesus and the goodness of God. And so he, 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 just, he, he, uh, he kept calling out to him. That's a different thing than vain repetition. And so um, as you look at this passage, you, you see where uh, th- this is all leading to. And, and by the way, persevering in prayer is because of spiritual warfare. It, it's because it's because God's not limited by anything, but He chooses to limit Himself, and He has put us here. He has put the earth in our care. He's given us authority here, but there are also evil spiritual beings here, and they hinder prayer. and And sometimes I I just need to I need to come back and pray again and pray day after day, not the same words, but from the same heart of passion for what I believe God wants to do, and and really what that does is it shows confidence in God's character. Um, think of it like this: when I would, when we were planning this church, my church planning coach, some of you know him, a fantastic coach, but he was late for every meeting we had, everyone, and I never knew how late he'd be. But you know what? I stayed, I waited. I didn't say, oh, he's one minute late, I'm out of here. He didn't answer me, he wasn't here instantly, I'm gone. Because I had confidence in him and I knew if he wasn't here right at the moment, there was a good reason for that. And I knew that when he did get here, it's gonna be really good. And so your, your confidence in that person, your confidence in God will cause you just in a natural way to keep coming back to him day after day, asking him for something, not just repeating it, thinking if I say it enough times, I'll get his attention, but it's just out of a heart of passion we continue because we believe in his goodness. Let's read the passage. This is Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, and um, starts off with this. Would you stand with me, please? Let's read it all together out loud. I'll start. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay. Have a seat. That last phrase is probably not there in the original text. It was probably added by someone. What would happen is in one of the Greek texts, someone would would, kind of like write hallelujah in the margin. Hallelujah, God, it's all yours. It's all about you. And then the next guy that copies that text put it into the text itself. And so it's not a bad way to end saying that prayer, but it's, it's just probably not part of the original. And um, it, it starts off, though, pray then in this way. Now, you can take that a couple different ways. Uh, do any of you remember the Three Stooges? <laughs> Three Stooges fans. Do you remember that scene where 
probably happened many times. They go into an office and there's a, a secretary there and she's, she says, walk this way. And she's leading them down the hallway to the office and she puts her hand on her hip and then she sashays the whole way down. And they'll put their hands on their hips and sashay down behind her, thinking that when they, she said, walk this way, she was telling them, walk like this. But really she was just saying, come this direction. Well, when Jesus says this, that's what he's saying. He's saying, pray in this direction. Pray like this. He's not giving us a prayer with the command to repeat this prayer. This is the prayer you repeat. Nothing wrong with repeating it, if you mean it from the heart. And, but but it, it, it's not, that wasn't his intent. And as with other scripture, there's nothing wrong with quoting it or even quoting it in the context of prayer. But his intent was to correct the misunderstanding that God is distant, that he really doesn't care, and that all you, you, just, you just have to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. He's trying to correct that and give us a foundational heart attitude that will lead us to pray the right way in whatever circumstance we're in. And so he says, when he says, pray this way, it's the heart attitude of prayer. Now, there, there is structure here as well. And there are times that praying according to this flow of structure can be a really good thing. But um, Jesus didn't always pray in his prayers according to this flow of structure. What you want to have are the underlying values of this prayer in your heart when you pray. But the structure itself, if you want to practice um, uh, extended prayer, this structure is a great way to do it. I, I heard a guy put it this way. It's kind of like a running around a racetrack. And you start the racetrack with um, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So you start, you start off your prayer focusing on who God is. And, and there's almost like meditation on who God is. And you're declaring his goodness and his mercy and his greatness, greatness and his power. You might recollect some of the things he's done in your life and thank him for that. But there's a focus on who God is. And then the second thing is a focus on God's purpose. You know, what God's will for the earth is that the kingdom comes. And so there's a focus on that. And you're, so you're praying around the world, praying for missionaries to bring the kingdom. You're praying for the kingdom to come in your own life, in your family's life, in your nation's life. And then the third one is with, with your personal needs. You come to your personal needs. And then, then it's forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven others. That's really talking about community and, and the need for unity and community. And so you pray about that and how, you know, you pray for other people and, and, and friends that are in need. And then uh, the last one is all about righteousness and spiritual growth. Lead us not into temptation. But beyond that, um, and then what happens is you pray that around the track and you, you start, you come back to the beginning and you just do it again. If you, want, if you ever want to pray for an hour, this is the way to do it or two hours or a day. This is, this is one of the ways to do it anyway. You pray like it's a racetrack and you go through this cycle. But today I really want to focus on the underlying attitudes for this when he says, pray this way. And he starts with, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. You know, a father cares for his children. That's the natural flow of life. A father cares for his children. Mother cares for her children. A natural flow of life. 
and there's a desire to bless. Who doesn't want to give their kids ice cream? I want to because I like seeing them happy. I like seeing them rejoicing and joyful. Sometimes I don't give them ice cream when they were little because I knew that even though they might be happy for the moment, it's not going to be good for them long term. But my heart desire is to bless them. And so we recognize that the Father desires to bless us. We read this in John 16. Jesus said these words in John 16, 26 and 27. He said, in that day, you'll ask in my name. In that day, meaning the day that Jesus has gone back to the Father. He's died on the cross, resurrected, and gone back to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit. He said, in that day, you'll ask in my name. And he says, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. And because, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And so this, that little phrase, the Father himself loves you. Just let that sink in. It is personal. He cares about you and he loves you. And in John 17, it says that he loves us the same as he loves his son Jesus. John 17, 23. It's one of the most amazing truths in the whole Bible that he loves us just like he loves Jesus. And so when we get that, our Father, then that, that's the foundational thing that we come to prayer with, not begging God, but understanding his heart is just poured out for us. But it goes on to say this, our Father in heaven. And what you see there is perspective. My Father, who loves me immensely, he has the perspective of heaven. And that's a perspective that I don't always have. But he has the perspective of heaven. And this, he has a higher view of my life than I do. And so there are going to be times he's going to know what's good for me and what's not good for me when I'm confused about that. And, and so I might pray something that isn't answered or it's not answered at that time because it's not the right timing because he has the perspective of heaven and he can see what, uh, you know, what I really need. And so th this, this whole idea of perspective is so important because it then, it, it means we have to have spiritual discernment as to what heaven's perspective is. I have to have spiritual discernment to know what God's perspective is so I know what to ask for. So I ask for things that align with his heart, with his will for the world, and with his plan for my life. And when I do that, then I enter into this flow of prayer. Uh, I have this underlying confidence in God that he is going to respond with the wisdom of a father who has perspective, and, and I get into this flow of prayer where I'm asking in alignment with what he, desires, what he desires to give me. And you know, perspective is so important. Uh, did you, do you ever lose perspective? Like at midnight, something that you haven't worried about all day pops into your head, and you're lying there in bed, and you can't, you can't get it, you can't put it out of your mind, it just becomes so large because you've lost perspective. 
Because all day long you've focused on other things, doing other things, and then now you sit down in the dark or you lie down in the dark and those other things are not there before you and this thing comes up and uh, Satan is probably there magnifying it at the same time. And it's, it's a matter of perspective because if you take that thing and you put it in perspective of everything else in life, which is what you did all day long, then it doesn't seem nearly as overwhelming or overpowering as it does when you lose perspective. In fact, I read in a book recently, it said that um, uh, this was a book on communication and on the brain and, and study how people communicate with each other. And, and the author said, it's common thinking that when someone has had too much to drink, they lose their, they, they lose their, uh, they become uninhibited. They lose their inhibitions and say what they really are thinking. Have you ever heard that or thought that? This guy said, that's absolutely not true. He said, they've done studies where they know what part of the brain controls uh, inhibitions. And alcohol has a very minimal effect on that part of the brain. But what, what alcohol does do, it makes a person myopic. So that all they can see is one thing. And the one thing that their brain focuses on then becomes huge because that's all they can focus on because that's what alcohol does to the brain. It makes you just focus on this one thing. And so you don't focus on the future, the past, or anything like that. It's just this one thing that seems so huge. And so it's perspective is what I'm saying. And, and we need God's perspective so that we see things in the breadth with which he sees them. But it goes on and it says, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed means let your name be declared holy. You know, let everyone recognize that you are holy. And so this is another aspect of this foundational attitude. God is holy. And the word holy simply means to be different. It means set apart. It means cut apart. One of a kind. It's kind of like if your grandmother gives you her good china, you put that away. It's special. It's holy. It's unique. You want to treat it that way. And, and so when we say God is holy, we're, we're, we're recognizing all of his attributes that separate him from us, that he's powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's all-loving, that he is good, he's all-wise, he's the creator, he's eternal, and as well, he is pure and righteous and just. And, and so there's a recognition of the depth of who God is. But when we say he is holy, it, it, it's really, it's putting God into perspective in our lives. It's putting us into perspective in relationship with him. Uh, you could put it this way. He's our father and he's our friend, but he was our Lord first. Okay, he's all three all the time. He's always father, friend, Lord, just, judge, lover of mankind, creator, all of that at once. But in my experience, I came to him in humility, bringing my sin to him. You, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for this. And so in our experience, he is Lord first. And we don't ever want to lose that foundational understanding that he is Lord above and beyond all else. He is my friend. He is my father, but he is my Lord. And I obey my Lord. I don't, I don't, I don't try to take advantage or, or think, well, he's kind, so I can get away with this. No, he's Lord. At that point in time, I need to think, no, he's Lord. And so, 
There's that declaration of who he is. But then he makes this declaration. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so at this point, you know, in, in my flow of prayer, I remind myself and, and I focus on the fact that God has a purpose for this world. He has a purpose for this world. And his purpose is that his kingdom would come to this earth, that heaven would come to earth. And he has a purpose for my life. And I recognize I find meaning and purpose as I become part of his mission. That's what this is all about. I find meaning and purpose in his mission. And when I embrace his mission and my part in it, then I'm taking a huge step in the direction of understanding heaven's perspective and and being able to pray in alignment with what God's will is and what his desires are. And so uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He, he has a plan, and, and he is Lord, not me. Remember, he's Lord first. He's God. He's the one who decides what direction my life's going to take. And when I, when, I, when I fall, when I put my life in his mission, then I'm fulfilled because he knows from heaven how I was made, what I was designed to do, what's going to make me truly happy and joyful and fulfilled in life. And so it... it um, it really is a matter of recognizing his will and then learning to pray in alignment with his will. That's why 1 John 5.14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay, so you might think, well, boy, that's pretty tricky. Well, it's not. It's not when I submit my life to his mission for my life and, and then I make the pursuit of my life to know him. And, and to walk with him and to experience him. And, and I'm in his word reading it and asking the Holy Spirit to show me what he wants to show me through it. And so I, I am able then to ask correctly and rightly. And James 3, 1 uh, says that it's possible to ask wrongly or not to ask at all. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it upon your own pleasures and desires. But when I take my pleasures and desires and I find them in Him, and I find my pleasure and desire and fulfillment in my mission that's part of his mission, then my heart begins to flow with his heart, and, and I'm able to then to begin to discern what to pray for, for my life and for the lives of others around me. Now, he goes on to say this, give us this day our daily bread. It's interesting, isn't it, that the thing that we normally start with is me. You know, oh, God, I need this, I need that, I need that. Oh, God, help, help, help. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, those types of prayers are going to happen throughout the day as long as I have this, these values seated in my heart strongly. And, I, and I'm relating to him as my father who is in heaven with a heavenly perspective. I'm relating him to him as the one who is Lord and within the context of his mission. But it, it's, it's here, it's placed here because 
he's showing us that he will provide for our needs. That's what Philippians 4 says, that uh, God will provide for all of our needs. Philippians 4, 19, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And as Micah said earlier, heaven isn't lacking anything. The riches of God's glory are eternal. But the, the, um, the point here is that it is in my submission to his purpose for my life that my needs are met. And so I'm not just saying, oh God, I want this because I'd love to have it. And there's nothing wrong with even saying that, as long as we have the, praying that, as long as we have the rest of this down. There might be a time that you're going to pray for a brand new red Corvette. You could do that. But um, with, with our hearts submitted to his purpose and his mission for my life, then my prayers are going to flow in more in alignment with him, and I'm going to see my needs more in alignment with fulfilling my mission than I am fulfilling my pleasures and desires. And so he goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. That's talking about community and the importance of relationship and prayer. And actually, we're going to talk about that next week because the next two verses after the Lord's Prayer are all about uh, forgiving others as a basis for answered prayer. But verse 13, we're going to, we're going to uh, sit there for a moment. And he says this, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Now, it's a struggle here. Why, why, would, he, why would we want to pray, God, don't lead us into temptation? And because uh, and, God doesn't lead us into temptation. James says that. When you're tempted, don't ever say you're tempted by God because God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. James says that very clearly. And so what could he mean here? Well, the word temptation in our usage today almost always refers to an enticement to, to evil, an enticement to do something wrong. But the Greek word for temptation could be used that way, or it could be used to mean simply a testing, a test. And when it was used in the sense of a test, it was used like this. It was used to... A, to refer to a test or a situation that a person goes through in order to draw out the strength of their character and draw out the true metal of their character that is there. And so, in that sense, if we read it that way, then don't lead us into testing and deliver us from evil. And so, those two thoughts have to go together, but deliver us from evil, one's juxtaposed against the other, and so he's saying, don't lead us into situations or even give us assignments that are too much for us to handle or that we, we're not mature enough to face, allowing the devil to take advantage of us. And, and, I, and I do think that probably the best translation is here, deliver us from the evil one. Because when we face hard situations, just by the very nature of it being hard, there, there's opportunity for spiritual attack. And I, I think probably too here, he has more in mind the whole idea of advancing the kingdom than anything else. And so it's almost like, God, don't give me any assignment that is three steps beyond where I am in my maturity level because that, that would give the devil an opportunity to attack me. Do you follow what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Okay, so um, 
so the, the, the whole idea of kingdom assignment, and when, and when we do face us, when we do have kingdom assignments, they're almost always going to be uh, tests because the kingdom, advancing the kingdom's warfare. So it's always going to take a strength and character to, to fulfill the mission that we've been given. When he gives us a mission, when he gives us an assignment, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to draw out the best in us. It's going to strip stuff away, and you're going to end up seeing what you really can do. And what it does is this. It, it shows the person's inner strength and character to themselves. It will show you how strong you really can be, how strong you really are if you rely on God's strength and the new creation that he's made you to be and the Holy Spirit's empowering in you. It shows your strength to others and character to others. So it, it builds trust in relationships. And then again, it speaks to the spiritual realm. And, and through that, it produces authority in your life spiritually when you go through something difficult. But what he's saying here is not, we're never gonna go through any difficulty. No, virtually every mission he gives us, every assignment he gives us is gonna lead us into pressure and, and there's gonna be difficulty with it. And that difficulty is, is, is brought by the enemy, but it is also intended to refine our character and strengthen us. God kind of takes what the enemy wants to do and he flips it. And, he's, and it, rather, than, rather than breaking us, God uses his tactics to strengthen us and to give us greater character. And so uh, we, we're watching The Amazing Race right now. I don't know if anyone's, this is season 33, anybody watching it? Okay, awesome. You see the episode where they're up in the um, uh, Mount, uh, Elp Mount, the Alps, and they have to walk down this very narrow path with a sheer cliff on one side. And the one couple, um, the wife is terrified of heights, but she said, I'll do it. And so she went out and she made it through. She was the very last one getting back, you know, way behind everybody else. And the husband's all frustrated because, because they're behind. He's thinking he should have done it. But um, nevertheless, she did it. And I even said to Lori, you know, she's going to come back feeling triumphant because she did this. And he's going to be mad at her because she didn't do it fast enough. But she did this hard thing. And then the very next challenge, they took them all to a dam and they had to bungee jump 750 feet off this dam. And they said in the note, uh, they said, um, the husband weighs too much. He can't do it. The wife has to do it. And so she did that too, which is an amazing thing. Can you imagine how that would feel? You're afraid of heights. And you just bungee jumped 700 feet. That would give you some boldness in life, wouldn't it? That would make you think, man, I can handle this. I can, I can handle this. I can, I can take life on. And so when God gives us assignments that stretch us, and, and what he's saying is, don't give me something that stretches me so far I'm going to break. And, and that, that goes along with 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where uh, Paul said this. He said, no temptation. And by that means testing, no trial. It's the same Greek word. Uh, for, for uh, temptation, it's used both ways, but here it means trial. No trial has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, okay? He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will with it 
uh, provide a way out so that you can endure it. You can make it through the trial. You can make it through the test, the temptation. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us uh, to pray for here. And so it, uh, it ends in James 4, 7, my, th- my thought on this does, where he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And, and so we submit ourselves to God. We recognize my foundational attitude of heart in prayer is that God is good, that he's a father, and that he's holy, and he's my Lord. He's Lord before he's friend and before he's father. That he has a purpose for this world, his kingdom coming into this world to, to, to bring his purposes for this world. And I get to be part of that. I have a part, my mission, my life mission fits into his mission for the world. And then I, I'm going to be able to ask for my daily bread, not just so I can be happy, but so I can fulfill my mission that he's given me. And, and I'm, I'm going to be in good community with others, relationally, and as well, I'm going to constantly trust God that the next mission is going to be something I can handle. It's not going to be something that goes beyond what I can handle. And, and I'm asking him for that. I'm asking him at the end of this prayer for the next mission he has for me, for the next assignment he has for me. And when we learn to pray this way, we're gonna be praying from God's perspective, with God's discernment, and we're gonna see some profound answers to prayer as we begin to do this. So let's pray together. I wanna stand with me, would you please? The prayer team would make their way down.